What up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb and you, well, you've been nice enough to download, subscribe, rate, listen to All Ball, where we tell stories usually around hoop, sometimes around football or whatever. And um, this is a pretty well critically acclaimed podcast. I got to tell you, you, you're like, wow, you kind of fell into something if you haven't listened to previous ones. I do want to, before we get to uh, part three with John Sunvold, as we got to broadcast and tell some broadcasting stories and how he got in it. And it's, it's, I think it's it one of my more enjoyable ones of the hundreds that we've, we've done. Um, I do want to kind of get in on this story where, for example, UIC, you, uh, there's been other co- leagues as well. You announce you're going to leave your league. And so the league, and I think uh, James Madison also experiencing this in the CAA, James Madison is a perfect example. They're in the CAA, and now they're not able to participate in the CAA conference tournament. And there will always be people. What about the kid? What about the kids? But but what recourse do conferences really have? I mean, how can they? What are they supposed to? What are you supposed to do? Like, oh, you want to leave our league? I mean, think of James Madison, just for example, right? They're in the the CAA. Last year, I was fortunate to call the CAA's conference championship game, which, wait for it, was at James Madison University. Now, James Madison has an amazing new arena. I'm just telling you, that's an incredible on-campus facility that's as good or maybe better than anybody at their level. You want to call it mid-major, whatever, at their level in the country. It's a beautiful facility. So you build a beautiful facility. You got a nice town. The weather was great. All that's awesome, but let's be honest. There's the financial implications of getting to host your conference tournament championship. It's a huge win for the school, for the local area, and of course, building that new arena. So you go from six months later saying we're going to leave this conference, which just gave us the conference tournament. That is, that's what you're doing to to the CAA. And so I guess what is the what the what is the CAA supposed to do? They're supposed to take this terrible news when there is in the fine print of the contract, which binds you to a conference. You're supposed to take it. Does it suck for the players? Absolutely. They're getting caught up in what's what you would be called adult stuff. Right. But. Again, like this is this is kind of part of life. College is about learning life lessons and not necessarily having uh, the repercussions uh, of what that you have in real life, right? You're kind of having quasi real repercussions from what happens. So I, I guess this is my way of saying, like, I'm not sure what I would do if I were a conference commissioner and a school announced midseason they're going to leave our league. But I do get it. And what's the point of having? these rules written into your contract, your, your conference bylaws, if you're not going to execute them, you know, it's like fines on professional players. Like, wait, we're not supposed to collect a fine. We collectively bargained. And then within the contract, if you violate said contract, there's a, a, a specific fine. Could I let you out of that fine? Sure. But the whole idea of the fine is a deterrent to ever do it again or to anybody else to do it. And that's what this is. It's a deterrent. You want to leave our league? We, we can't hold you back, but we can make you hurt for doing it. All right, let's let, let's dive in with uh, John Sumble. This is part three. If you missed part one, part two, it's about his career as a basketball player, first in college at Missouri and growing up as a kid and then in the NBA. Part three is about him as a broadcaster and having his own uh, fine investment uh, 
investment, financial investment company. Here's part three with John Sunfold. Well, okay. So part two, I want to get to uh, your broadcasting career because when we last left off, it was you deciding you just body couldn't do it. And you'd still go in and shoot hoops at Mizzou and you still, you know, what am I doing? I'm missing it. But what was that? What was your game this weekend? I had uh, Auburn at Georgia. What, why? I mean, Auburn was very fortunate to win that game. Yeah, they were. They were. Explain that. Well, you know, they're, they're number one and they went on the road and you know how that is. The number one that, you know, they did play well first half. They, they were good, but Georgia, you know, Auburn didn't, didn't execute. So the best player in the country, or let's say top three, Jabari Smith, right? 6'10", shoots it, handles it. He had four shots in the first half. He had one shot with three minutes to go in the game. A couple guards for Auburn decided they would shoot every time down. So it's it's a weird thing because I've had, I mean, I've had Bruce on a lot and I I know Bruce really well. Yeah. And I will tell you, I think um, his actual coaching is wildly underrated. Like he's a fantastic coach. Yeah, he is. He is. But the sort of the method to it is it feels like he lets them go a little bit, but God, they take, they take some liberties with it, you know? And you know what, honestly, they should have lost. And I say that because uh, Georgia missed, missed the front end of a one and one when they, they were up two. and on a tied game, kid goes, drives baseline, makes a shot. Potential three-point play, he missed a free throw. So there's three points there, and they lose by a point. Now, that's all in the last minute of the game. Like if they convert the three-point play or make the two free throws to go up four, uh, yeah, Georgia probably would have won, but, you know, Auburn survives, and they're really good. It was just one of those games. But it was fun because we were in person versus being uh, out of the house, and Georgia was loud, and they had a chance. Um. I do think the league is interesting. You asked before we started taping if I was at I was at Oklahoma State because they took down Oklahoma, and I feel like Oklahoma State in how they're constructed feels like an SEC team. Interesting, you know. In why, that, why, and why do you say that? If if you and I'm really I'm in a I'm in an interesting spot here where I do just about every league, right? You know, between radio and TV, and I'm always in person. And the leagues look and feel very different for the most part. Um, the Big Ten, everybody's got a big guy and a couple of big guys. Right. And when I say big guy, I mean, not just Kofi Coburn, uh, but, you know, go look at Michigan. Look at, you know, Michigan Michigan State, not, not as thick as they usually are inside, but the, they're, they're not playing small ball. You right. know, they're much more traditional or maybe – their traditional last 20 years traditional where they'll play one big, but they all have a big, it's a, it's a much bigger rugged league. Whereas the sec is feels like much more athletes at every position. Correct. Right. You know, I mean, just dudes out there kind of flying around getting after it. And then the big 12 is kind of somewhere hybrid in the middle, you know, where I think that's what happened with Kansas where Kansas is, 
um, they're, they're just the athleticism of Kentucky kind of overwhelmed them a little bit. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Baylor um, and Oklahoma State, trying to think, those would probably be the two that look the most like the overall level of athleticism in the SEC. The difference is Oklahoma State does not have a Jabari, Jabari Smith. They don't have a pro. Right. right. They don't have a dude who just win us a game. Right. And I feel like Kentucky does. Um, I feel like uh, when you look at the top of the SEC, they all have one, at least one, maybe, maybe two. Yeah. But OK, so then you look at Oklahoma and Oklahoma feels and how they play is a little bit more Big 12 to almost Big 10 style. And I just wonder, I think he's a fabulous coach and I understand it's only year one. And so year one, you're just, you're in the portal. You're just kind of shoving things together and trying to figure it out, but they're going to have to dramatic. I, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can play that way in the sec and survive, you know, right. Um, right. Where you're, where you're loading up defensively, where you're um, it's just, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more traditional. And I don't know. I don't feel like anybody plays that way in that league. And I think, just they they couldn't they couldn't get any good looks. I mean, Oklahoma State's so long and ranging. They play Mike has been playing so hard defensively. Offensively, OSU is kind of a mess, but right. defensively, wow, it's it's really a wow in terms of how they how much how much space they cover in the floor with how hard they play. And I do feel like that's for the most part that's the SEC that I've seen. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Now, again, I don't get to – I don't go outside the league any, although this Saturday I go to uh, – I've got West Virginia and Oklahoma State. Just randomly out of the blue, they we, we switch some games. So, yeah, the SEC is very athletic. And when you have those kind of athletes, it's on the defensive end, right? Sometimes offensively, uh, it can be hit or miss on some nights on some of these teams. Talent-wise is okay offensively. Defensively, they play hard, and they got great coaches, so they just absolutely get after it. So to find shots, if you don't have an offensive guy, if you don't have someone that can break somebody down, yeah. Because most of the time, Doug, you you know this. In the old days, you had three and four year players that coaches you learned to run offenses. You could be a machine. Yeah, they can't be a machine anymore. You only get a kid one year. You get a kid two years. Transfers in, transfers out. It's pretty hard to build a machine on an offensive end, like yeah, like that, a, like a mid major can. Like if they got yes. dudes for four years, you know Davidson or some of those schools you'd watch in the tournament, you're going shit. That's a machine, right? They pass, cut, know each other. It's hard to do at the biggest levels. It's just hard to do. So you're you get done playing. Why? Why? Like, what led you to want to? be in the financial sector? Like, how did that come to be? Probably, uh, I was a finance major in college, which didn't have anything to do with it, only because I started pre-dental. That didn't work so well, first semester. Pre-dental? <laughs> pre-dental. Uh, I got done what, with- what, what made you think you wanted to be a dentist? Well, I don't think I did. There was a dentist in my hometown <clears throat> that said it's a good profession. And he's correct. Now that I'm in the financial business, the dentistry business is a great profession. And we have many dentists as clients at my firm. So, but anyway, he said, 
it's a great profession. So, you know, when you're checking the boxes as a freshman, you know, okay, I'll go pre-dental. With that, that made me a biology major. I hated sciences. So I got done with the first semester, wasn't all that successful. And I asked my advisor, what could I do with this biology degree if I'm not a dentist? And she listed about 17 things that none of them, none of them appealed. So then I slowly went to the business school. Uh, my first advisor in the business school is a management guy. That seemed I, I so I had a semester of management classes seemed boring to me. Wall Street was interesting to me. I didn't come from a family with money. I don't think my dad ever owned a stock in his life until later on in life. So that was the interest. And then when I got a little bit of money, even though I didn't make a lot in the MBA, I thought, well, what do you do with this? How do you make it grow? How do you, how do you? So it became a hobby. Like it became my biggest hobby was just reading about stocks and studying stocks. And so eventually I thought, well, this is probably what I'd like to do. Now I'm thinking this, I graduated in 83, got done in 92. In 1988, I got my investment license. So how are you doing? How are you getting your investment license while you're an MBA player? So in the summer times, I'd come back to Columbia. My wife and I we got married in 86. So we had a condo in Columbia because I could work out at the university. Right? right. I wasn't anybody. Nobody bothered me here. Like, I, you know, everybody knew me. So I could come back here. I could work out at the university. Uh, I could play golf. I joined the country club. I could do what I wanted to do here. And so a friend of mine was an investor. I played golf with him. He ran, he was a manager of a, an investment firm. And we just started talking about all that stuff. And I said, he said something, he goes, why don't you get your license? So studied all that, got my license, didn't do much with it. I mean, I would be, come back in the summer. Obviously, I'm not going to try to manage someone's money or do really any of that. So in the meantime, really, I never thought how long I'd play. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, I could have been done in 86, 7, 8, 9, right. pick a year. So when I started doing, there used to be a show on PBS channel on Friday nights called Wall Street Week with an old man by the name of Louis Rukeyser. And Louis, it was a half hour program about what happened in Wall Street. I would tape it. I would watch it. He would have money managers on that he would interview. So there was times when I would travel and when I would go to New York, I might, you know, I'd write down this name of a money manager. Then I would call that guy when I was in New York and say, can I come by and visit? And he's thinking, okay, John Sumble, San Antonio Spurs. First, he's thinking I probably want my money managed. No, really, I was picking his brain. So I would pick all these financial people's brain about what they liked about their business and what they didn't. So slowly but surely, in my back of my mind, I was trying to build an idea of what I wanted to do. And so, honestly, that led me one guy said, study manage money where you could hire money managers. Second part was uh, study pension plans. So really, that was my expertise, so to speak, when I finally started my own firm. So I got back in 92. I worked for the firm that I was licensed with. You got to be with a firm to get licensed. So from 92 to 97, I worked for a firm. And October 15th of 97, I opened my own doors, which I had to have enough clientele, which really was, I was focused more corporate-wise, pension stuff. That was going to be my focus. And when I had enough clientele to be able to pay the bills, and I became a fee-only a fee-only advisement firm, uh, yeah, 
October fifteenth, nineteen ninety. Fee only means you charge a fee for every for every trade or monthly. That's that's instead of commission, right? Yeah, no commission. So fee could be it could be an hourly fee if someone wants advice. Uh, it could be a fee based on the amount of assets they have. Um, there's a variety, but there's no commission to it, right? So. I always thought it puts my client on the same side of the table as me. I'm not getting paid to make a call to say, let's get rid of Intel, right? Let, let's get rid of Intel and we're going to buy Walmart. I didn't want my client to think, well, are you getting paid anymore? In my mind, I thought you get paid every day to make a decision on that portfolio if it's a client's, right? If we own Walmart every day, I got to think, are we keeping Walmart? Or are we selling it? Or are we adding to it? And so I thought if you did a fee only business, uh, I just thought that would generate better business for my firm. And then really my idea was to build a boutique-ish type firm that I didn't need to have everybody know what we did. I mean, I wasn't, uh, the target client for me wasn't everybody. Like I didn't put out a shingle. I didn't advertise that come see us because we did, I didn't want everybody's accounts. I focused more on the pension side. And then slowly as I built my company, I now have four financial planners that do that. My strength, my strength was in a boardroom in front of a board that gave me 15 minutes and then I had to get out of it, right? Or 30 minutes, like an interview. Right. My strength wasn't sitting down with Mr. and Mrs. Smith and talking about little Susie's 529 plan. That that so I had to find those guys that fit my world to, to do it at my firm. So slowly but surely we did that. But that was it was hard to start that way because when you're a one-man shop, here's where most small businesses fail. So in theory, you're a sales guy when you open your own firm, right? I, I represent. I'm a one-man shop. When you open your door, now you're the janitor, you're the accountant, you're the marketing guy, you've got you're you're you're, you're the compliance person with the Securities Exchange Commission who you're licensed with. You're just bogged down with everything besides doing what you do well. So that's small businesses kind of struggle that way. And I did too, until, you know, I had a friend give me a little book called The E-Myth, Entrepreneurial Myth. The E-Myth, written by Michael Gerber, is a little paperback book. I probably went through that a hundred times. Little paper, just highlighting on why you're screwing up. How do you change your life to run a business so that it doesn't run you, right? So, and really the other part was the reason kind of the reason I was broadcasting, it paid the bills. I mean, broadcasting kind of paid some of my bills so that I could still focus on how do you build a company? Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. When you first got into broadcasting, who was it who encouraged you to get into it? Uh, Joe Castiglione. Well, the reality you told, is me, you told me Joe C. So, so can I? Let me just real quick tell you kind of uh, well, not Joe C, but Tim Allen. Yeah, Tim. So sure. in in uh, in two thousand, playing the Big Twelve tournament. Okay, in Kansas City, and you're calling the games. Yeah. So we should have won the league, and we played Oklahoma the last game at Gallagher, the old Gallagher. Yeah. And uh, we're leading at the half. We're up nine with a couple minutes to go. We're probably like six minutes to go. And coach thought they were going to start fouling me like hack, hack a dug in me. 
Right, right. So he right. takes me out. What was weird, though, he took me out and put Andre Williams in as a freshman, who was also a poor free throw shooter. But for whatever reason, um, one, he's big, so you like he doesn't touch the ball or whatever. Right. We had, you know, like three straight turnovers. They come back, and we end up losing the game. And so we go from – we probably would have been tied for first with Iowa State um, to finishing – I think we finished fifth. Or tied, we have tied for a second with like four other teams or something. Was, I, I that, was, that, was that Tinsley or not? Tinsley and Pfizer, yes. Yeah, okay. And we only played them once. Remember the old Big 12? We only oh, yeah. played them once. We put them up there and yeah. they smacked us. Uh, we beat Kansas at our place by 33. They were they were pretty young then. Heinrich, right. Gooden, Carlson, all freshmen. And we beat the living daylights out of them. And then Oklahoma was right there. We, you know, we split with them. Uh, I don't know if it was Texas. I'm trying to think. I think Texas was the other team. So all the strength was in the South outside of, outside of, uh, of Iowa state. So we go to the big 12 tournament and we got to play Kansas again, who we just beat and we get there and our game was the first game of the day. So our shooting time was like 7. AM and coach was, you know, coach was like, I didn't get up at 7. AM. Anybody want to go shoot? I'm like, well, I want to go shoot, you know? So, so I go to the Kemper and we have the court from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And Brian Lewinstra, who died in the plane crash, got rest his soul. He's their trainer. He came. Pat Noyes, who was our head manager. He was also he was yep. the D.O.B.O. the next year who died in the crash. Uh, he, he came with me. And Brian Farr, who was our trainer. Um, I think those are the three guys. Oh, and Jared Weiberg, who died in the crash as well, who was uh, that year was also a manager. So it was the four of us. We hop in a, an SUV. We go over to Kemper. And, you know, the first half hour, I'm getting a flop sweat workout. It was awesome, right? It just feels so good. And then the, then we just started messing around. I'll never forget, uh, OU had the next shooting time. And they had their trainer. Uh, their trainer had been there forever. God, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. Uh, Scott something. Uh, shoot. <laughs> wow. But I just remember he came in the gym and it was like 745. And we had 15 more minutes. And I mean, this is like, you know, it's like the rivalry KU Missouri where they go they're like, hey, hey get the fuck out of our gym. You know, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we were unreasonably terse. So Tim Allen comes up to me right at the end of the shooting time. And he's like, calls me over, gives me his card. And he says, you know, we'd really like you to do games uh, for the league when you get a chance. You know, whenever you get done playing, you just call us. So, uh, and then he also connected me with Pete Durzis. Yep, yep. And those are the two guys who initially, and really, and Bill Teakins, who died in the plane crash, was our color guy. They all initially, like, this is what you really need to think about doing. Right. So it all starts with, like, kind of all it. So, so it was Joe C. When did, how did Joe, Joe C. tell you, hey, you should think about doing this? So because Joe was assistant athletic director of Missouri at the time, when I got out of the league, I, I told you I did the radio for a year, two years, really one year, uh, two years for Missouri. Norm Stewart said, you need to do radio for us. <laughs> it's like no option. You're doing the radio. So then Joe C was like, you know, you'd probably be really good at TV. And Missouri sports properties had a package of five games. Yep. So, did, so I, did, I did the Oklahoma State pot package. Yeah. Which was five and games. I think every school did. 
Now, the best part of the package was Missouri-Illinois game was part of the package. Oh, was. Right? Okay. Now, think of this. <laughs> Missouri's had a lot of great broadcasters come through, not just not that graduated from here necessarily. Uh, Kevin Harlan did Missouri games. So in the Missouri, so my first partner in the five package TV deal was Joe Buck. Young, young Joe <laughs> Buck. So I learned a lot because he knew TV from his dad, right? And radio. He knew the stuff. Joe was young, confident, cocky, which was great. Uh, I'm probably a little more humble on the side of I'm not going to tell some producer, don't show me that, right? Until I worked with Joe. Like Joe was my guy going, but that Illinois Missouri game was okay. So I did it once with Bob Costas. Uh, I did it once with John Rooney, who's the voice of the Cardinals. All those guys had worked for Mizzou at some form or fashion doing Missouri radio. So that was the, I mean, there's guys you're thinking, okay, your first guy's Joe Buck. Well, if Joe's not the best, he's, he's one of the best ever. Joe Siglione, Pete Durgis, you get this guy in your league, in the league, right? So they did. I mean, they called, and like everybody, they're worried that you're a homer for your home team. I mean, that's what always the concern is. So the games I got initially weren't Missouri, which uh, you're probably the same way. I don't think many guys that played are fanaticals of their team. Correct. I hope they win. Like, I hope Missouri does great. But if I'm doing a game, I, I have no, you know, concern. Of- I, I think that's I think I think here's where people struggle. And it's a little different because you have Columbia has been has been home for you, you know, but but right. most guys. Um, you're connected to your team and your guys, your teammates. Correct. But when they're Correct. gone. Right. It's like I still love my coach and my school. Right. Whereas when you're a fan, you don't see it that way at all. And so what a lot of people in, in management of these, they, they think of it from a fan mindset. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a hilarious one. Okay. Cause I want to get to, I know you call it games for CBS in the tournament. Uh, when I was at CBS, uh, they, I never did an Oklahoma state game and they had a, they had a couple of mod and it, it, it bothered me. Like I didn't do OSU Kansas. Like how can you not have me do OSU Kansas? Right. Like, right. It, anybody, I'm I'm kind of synonymous with that game and that rivalry, and even the shorts on backwards game. Like that's probably one of the five most known moments of the Big Twelve, <laughs> like in, in the history of when it was a twelve team league. Like that was a moment, right? But anyway, but they they were very concerned. So, um, it was my second or third year doing games, and I it was my second year, and I'd ask them, hey. Look, I know I'm down the totem pole. I know Nance and those guys, they get the whatever the biggest games are. Could you put me and Spiro Ditas in San Diego? Because the games are March 18th and 20th, and my son's birthday is the 19th. And I'm in Orange County an hour away. And you know how hard March is. Like, could I just see my kid? Yeah, right. You know, on his birthday, that would be really cool. <laughs> you know, we'll do, we'll do the best we can. So that year... Oklahoma state gets into, into San Diego and they called me to like, and, and a guy who I really like and I really trust and I admire a great deal. Uh, I'll leave his name out of it. He said, you know, I had to go into San Diego, but 
Oklahoma State's in it. I was like, so where'd you put me? He's like, well, Spokane. I said, well, you know, OU's in Spokane. He's like, so? I said, look, <laughs> I said, you have to understand the, the hundred people who would think I'm a homer doing an Oklahoma State game. Right. There's 250 to 1,000 people who would think I'm the same homer doing an OU game. You actually didn't change it. You just, you, you just kind of move the, it's the, you're going to have, you have the same exact thing, you right. know? Correct. They, they over, they just overthink it, just yeah. overthink it. Whereas, and, and that's honestly one of the things that I always admired about your style, which is very matter of fact, I couldn't tell if you liked the coach, if you didn't like the coach, if you yeah. liked the player, you just, Right. analyze the game and told the story and painted the picture of what, why, what's really happening here, what you should pay to. And it's the ability to disconnect from any sort of emotional ties to it. Right. I don't know if everybody has that, by the way, but no, I do think I, that you I do as good a job as anyone who's ever done it does. Well, and, and some of that's personality probably. Yeah. So again, I'm the youngest of four boys. My oldest brother would say, I lost my sense of wonderment when I was a kid. Right? Like, <laughs> he, you know, he used to say, hell, the president of the United States could walk in here and you would treat him like he's just another guy. And to yeah. me, he's just another guy. Right. 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 And so do you lost things, your sense of wonderment as a kid? That's yeah. an amazing. That's an ama amazing line. And that's he is always he's always used that because he's opposite. Like he's the firstborn. Right. Everything is new and adventurous and exciting. I, I don't, it, it's not a big deal to me. Now, what was interesting for me doing games was Kansas was always the dominant team, right? In this That's league. Right. And I was on all those broadcasts. Like they're going to be on, they were going to be on every Monday night once I got big Monday. So if, if, if Colorado complained, they weren't on Monday. So they gave them a game. It was going to be Kansas and Colorado. Right. So I mean, it, it, whether it was ever a test to me, I had no problem doing Kansas games. And I got Kansas buddies that would go, God, you act like you like them. And I'd said, well, how they're good. I mean, I'm just doing the game, right? I'm yes. just doing. And, and the, you know, some, some people would ask, what's hard? Is it hard to do any of those games? I said, the reality is all I look, I'm going to talk about who's playing well. I'm not going to hammer the team that's not playing well. And ideally, I had a game a couple of weeks ago. Let's see, who was it? Uh, it? It was Georgia, Vanderbilt, Georgia, maybe, where Vanderbilt played great the first half. Georgia played great second half. Perfect. I covered both teams well, and Georgia came comes back and wins by three points, right? I, perfect. I got everything in that first half about that team. I'm not, I'm, you know, I never had a problem with the Kansas. And, you know what, Kansas fans never had a problem with me, ever. Ever once. Even doing, I did Missouri-Kansas games, Big Monday, and CBS. Kevin Harlan and I did enough Kansas-Missouri games, and I don't think there was an ever issue. I will say this, because I've got Missouri buddies, because I live in Columbia. I will always tell them that they listen to the game with tiger ears. Yes. Right? Every fan fan listens to that game with their ears, and they can't wait for that guy to make a mistake. That 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 – you know, that's so-and-so. He didn't, you know, Gottlieb never liked us. You know, Joe Buck gets it from everybody. Yes. They think Joe Buck's a homer. Joe Buck could care less about anything of that, yeah. right? And none of and you don't, and I don't. But, 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 by, by the way, the, the Joe Buck criticism is that is a great litmus test 
if you tell me, if you, if you want to go something negative about Joe Buck, you officially told me you have no ability to evaluate somebody's play-by-play talent, right? Right. Correct. Right. You, Correct. That, that's really what you're, you're telling me. It's like, trust me. It's like, uh, and, I mean, we, we both know there's like five or 10 guys in the entire world that can do what he can do. Right. Correct. And so if you sit there and go like, you know, Joe Buck sucks, like, okay, let's do this from now until eternity. You're no longer allowed to have any credible thoughts on broadcasters. That's what you've, that's what you've done to me. Right. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a good Joe Buck. And this is, this is where I learned it from a young Joe Buck. Okay. We're doing Missouri, Illinois. And I don't think there, there's one of the greatest games ever. Missouri, Illinois played a triple overtime game. I'm not sure it was this one, but at the start of the game in our ear set, in our ear piece, we can't, I could tell Joe struggling because he would repeat himself. Welcome back. Welcome back. Like he'd say it twice. He's had he mixed minus in his ear. Well, something was going on that he wasn't picking something up. So we get to the first timeout. I mean, it, you know, and he just starts motherfucking the producer. You guys better fix this. <laughs> I mean, he's going crazy. Now I'm saying Joe's 25 or six years old. And I look at him like, Jesus, calm down. He said, no, here's the thing. It's only you and me that's going to be blasted for every broadcast. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you're right. Now, I'm not quite that, but if my, if my stuff's not working, I'm saying, hey, get this fixed. Because I can't, yeah. I either can't hear him. I've got echo. I've got, you know, and you know. I, I had a young woman where you're doing a game. Sometimes doing you're game. doing a game and stuff's bad. Yeah, I was, I, it, well, his thought is that that's, it's funny because I had a young woman who um, she's been elevated and she's really improved. And she had just started working. I was doing my ESPN radio show and I kept having, she was working the board and it was like a, it was a mistake like every other segment. And it was the type of mistake where it was kind of screwing me up, like hitting the wrong piece of sound. It taking me to break a little bit early, just a couple of things. And, you know, she goes, sorry in my ear. And I'm, I'm usually like a, Hey, you know, I make a mistake every segment sort of guy. Like I know I do. Right. So finally I got up out of my chair and I, I try and never get up. Like I don't go to the bathroom. I don't do anything. I have that's I'm just yeah. three hours. That's what I'm doing. And then I, but I get up out of my chair and I go into the, the production booth. And I, I said, she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I was like, listen, I understand. Okay. Get it. Okay, I do 180, 200 radio shows a year. I screw up. I was like, but when you screw up, I sound bad. When I screw up, I sound bad. Okay, so I'm in the process of trying to screw up less, but you got to stop. I mean, you got to stop fucking up. This is just like, again, I'm not saying you're not going to screw up. Right. I'm just saying, can we minimize? It's like bad shots. Can we take fewer bad shots, please? But that's the, that's the thing that you have, that people have to realize. Um, okay. So Joe Buck, the most, who else would you put, like, what's Kevin Harlan like to work with? Uh, you know, the best, I mean, I'm going to say all these guys are the best Kevin. If you know, Kevin, he's kind of a quiet guy. Yeah. Um, you know, simple, humble, as good a person as you ever, ever, ever meet. Uh, when the lights come on, when the lights come on, that voice gets pretty, you know, it's animated. 
uh, it was a great mix for me because I'm not that way. And, uh, you know, just to be able to work with him, I think we did four years of the tournament, and that meant we were going to do four years with one or two games prior to the tournament, which was great for us and great for me because he was uh, he's a pro's pro. And, you know, again, I, I'll say this about a lot of guys, nobody's better. I mean, there's a lot of guys to me that's nobody's better. And Kevin, because we got to do Missouri, Kansas, that was fun. He's a Kansas grad and uh, I'm a Missouri grad. Uh, we did it in the, in the right way. I think it would have been fun to do a game in another way. Like it would have been fun maybe to do one of those Kansas, Missouri games and kind of Homer each other, but we didn't do that. That would have been kind of, that would, be, that would, that would be really fun. Yeah. In today's world, you maybe could do it a little bit of fun because in the old days, Doug, I'll say you really never even talked about your alma mater. Like now guys will say, well, you know, you know, whatever highlight they'll say, Hey, my Missouri teams win it or something. Yeah. yeah it, it, has, we, it has kind of changed. It, it yeah. definitely changed. And back then we never, you never even really assumed you were a Missouri grad, but Kevin first, was tur- first tournament game you called NCAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with uh, uh, Mike Gorman, the Boston Celtics voice of the Celtics, Pittsburgh, Coppin State, 15 seed, beats South Carolina, a two seed. That was your first game? Yeah. Uh, Where? Yeah. It's in Pittsburgh. Oh, in Pittsburgh. Okay. So, the, hey, the great part about that, so the week the week prior, and you, you'll love this, I was doing the Big 12 semifinal first game. Don't remember who it was. CBS had the championship game on Sunday, the Big 12. And actually, in 97, it was going to be Missouri and won three days in a row. They're going to play Kansas. I do the first. So Billy Packer's coming in and do that. And then that's where they hosted the unveiling of the team. CBS did. Used to be in Kansas City, right? So Billy comes in there. CBS, I do the, uh, the semifinal, the first one in Kansas City. I go catch a plane to Memphis to do the final of the SEC tournament. Now, Back then, no phones, no stuff. How did you do it? Well, how about this? I get on the airplane knowing it's probably going to be Kentucky and South Carolina is like one of the best teams in the country. I know, I know nothing about South Carolina. Kentucky, you just know them by osmosis, right? I know the history. Not quite sure of the players yet, but I'll figure it out. On this plane ride from Memphis, KC, I'm looking at stuff. There, there weren't game notes back then like they do now either. It, it, I, I had a media guide that someone sent that South Carolina yeah, maybe the, or, or the blue ribbon or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm looking, so I'm looking through and I'm looking at South Carolina players. Like I know zero about them. I'd land, I get a cab to the Peabody. I walk in and Kentucky blues everywhere. And a guy says, Hey, you know, knows me or something. And I said, Hey, what was the South Carolina? How, how big South Carolina win? He goes, they didn't win. Georgia upset him. And I was like, holy shit. I know nothing about Georgia. So the CBS guys are there like, hey, we're going to go to dinner. But I said, well, I'm not. I said, I need a TV in my room. I need the semifinal game tape of Georgia, South Carolina. I need the Kentucky semifinal. I'm going to order some ribs for rendezvous. I don't think I went to bed. Like, I don't think I went to bed because now I got to do this game that I know nothing about. Now, here was the bad, the, the good part, maybe. I'm working with Timmy Brando. So Tim, who's SEC guy at the time, he knows everything about him. Everything. 
And he tells me, he said, John, we're going to have a blow up. It was the same thing I was thinking of Kansas City because Missouri had played three games. Now they're going to play Kansas. They're going to get blown out. And they did. Close to yeah. 30. That, that happened. That happened. We, played the, we did the four and four days. And we played. Yeah. It was two, two years later. And we just had nothing for that final fourth day. Well, in my final at the SEC, it was a blowout. Kentucky beat Georgia by 30. So all we talked about was the NCAA tournament. But it was that South Carolina team that I had at Pittsburgh. Coppin State beats them, which I think the first time a 15 beat a two. And then Fang Mitchell. Fang Mitchell. And then the next round, Coppin State played Texas, which was easy for me. And I want to say, I mean, it was Penders. Remember Reggie Freeman? The sure. Left? I think yeah. it was, I think, I think Texas won by a point. Like Coppin State was close to going to the Sweet 16 way back then. So that was my first. Uh, first CBS thing. As my, far first, as my first tournament game was Pittsburgh. Jamie Dixon, yeah. Stephen Adams was a freshman. Yeah, he took on Wichita State. Where <clears throat> was it? It was in Salt Lake City, and uh, and it was actually a close game for about uh, in the first half. It was a close game, and uh, I think Lamar Patterson was Pittsburgh's best player. And he drove to the hoop and went by his guy. And as he did with his left arm, it kind of mistakenly hit Van Vliet in the face. Fred Van Vliet was a freshman in the face with an elbow. But he's going to lay the ball in. Inadvertent elbow. And if you remember, and it's still, they kind of changed rule to where now it's a basketball move. Right. But back then, uh, it was just, if you hit a guy in the face with an elbow, is a is a flagrant. Wow. So he had two fouls. He makes it and one. They wipe that off, call foul on him. It's his third personal foul. And what was like a Pittsburgh lead, they wipe that off the board. Wichita hits a couple free throws, passions out. It they get beat by 20. And I went on this rant about how this is the dumbest thing we do <laughs> in our sport. It was like my first and I had done CBS games. I'm working for CBS. It was my first NCAA term game. And you know how m- most, and I'm not trying to be critical of, uh, of guys that call, but most of those guys, it's really CBS wants to push. It's about the stories. Right. You know, about yeah. just the game. Yeah. You know, it's not really an opinion space in right. how they prefer the tournament to be. But I've always, I'm just me. And so <laughs> that's true. You know, so I, I'm just like, this is the dumbest thing we do. Anybody who's ever played basketball knows you're going to catch an elbow. Yeah. You know, basketball is a contact sport. There's no way in which a guy is going to lay the basketball in and he purposely lines you up and elbows you in the face. It just happened. And now we take three points essentially off the board. We put the best player in a foul trouble. We stop the game. We review it 50 times over. This is the dumbest thing we do. <laughs> and it got picked up on social. So then this now the second game I did. So it's me and Spiroditas and it's Southern taking on Gonzaga. And damn, if Southern isn't tied with four minutes and change to go bringing the ball up the court and it's in Salt Lake and there's uh, 18,000 seat arena. So 14,000 people come to their feet and they're cheering for Southern. Right. Right. And we go to break in that under four timeout and you get the, Hey guys, you know, we're coming to you now. We didn't, I wasn't, this wasn't in the world. We had the, we had, it was Turner. So there was all the games were on 
Right. Different. You know, it wasn't the where you were because you guys were doing games sometimes that nobody actually even saw. Right. Correct. Or just, certain, or yeah, just certain parts. Yeah. Yeah. Certain parts of the country only. Yeah. But, you know, we're coming and we're elbowing each other like, are you kidding me? We're going to do the first 61 upset. <laughs> and uh, and Southern was amazing. And I mean, Gonzaga ends up losing the next game to Wichita. But that was like that was my first session was Wichita takes down Pitt and Southern almost upsets Gonzaga. And you're like, wow, this is this is pretty, fa- pretty fantastic. Pretty you'll, fantastic. You'll like this one. My second year, 1998, <laughs> I work with Gus Johnson. So Gus and I not only had the first weekend, but we also had the second weekend, Sweet 16 to Elite Eight. And this was Utah that went to the Final Four. They beat Arizona. But the night before that game, we're going to dinner. Uh, CBS guys, I'm meeting them there, whatever restaurant in Anaheim. And I walk in, and over in the corner is Rick Majerus and George Carl. So George Carl's Sonics are playing the Lakers. They're in town. Yeah. So I go over there and have a seat and say hi. Those two guys are drawn on a napkin, well, a cloth. Triangle and two? Yes. They were drawn. No way. They were drawn up. True story. Boxing one, triangle and two, and going through. And I sat there for just a few minutes. The only story that would have been better is if you said, hey, Rick, you know, he's try. (laughs) I'm going to do tomorrow. Yeah, I should. I should should change it since Rick passed away. I should just make him a story. (laughs) But true story. So George Carl, they're they're drawing this triangle too, knowing that you're going to give up a lot. And if and if Lute Olson, who's a great coach, he says, you know what, if if they're going to kill us, but we got to try something. And George is going through some areas of where they could move these guys. So the next day, here we are at this game. They triangle to Miles Simon and Mike Bibby, right? Mm-hmm. Arizona got what they wanted. They, they got what they wanted. They got shots they wanted. Because you can if you're patient enough. They just didn't make them. They didn't make anything. And and Utah just kicked the hell out of them. Beat them. Just drilled them. And Arizona might have been the best team that year. Yeah. But that's that was, a, they, were defend, they were defending national champions. Yeah. And, I mean, that that's a story that, yeah, I remember walking in. And I knew George Carl, you know, NBA stuff, right, to say hi. And Rick was, you know, I'd just done their Sweet 16 game. And here, and I think he offered the lady that he would buy the 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 cloth napkin. She was like, "No, you guys are fine." Like it's literally they're drawn on this stuff. Great, great story. I mean, that's pretty good stuff. Those those are the best. I always thought, um, I loved the camaraderie of all the CBS guys hanging out and stuff. Yeah. But where I struggled with was they were like, "Hey, you got to go to. You should go to dinner with your crew," which I agree with. The difference is, I like to go to dinner with the coach. You know, I because, you, you know, like you go into Kansas and Bill, like, come over and just have dinner at the house. You find out everything. Right. And so you get back from a game like, why didn't you go to dinner with the crew? And I was like, well, because I went to Bill Self's house. So like, yeah, like we want you to go to dinner with the crew. <laughs> like, really? OK. But they w- when you have when you have the answers to the test beforehand, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, 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 I, I, my challenge on all of it. All of it was because I, I had another business was when I got to a place, the game site, no matter ESPN, ESPN regional, uh, CBS, that was when I worked at the, on the game. Yeah. So if guys said, Can, hey, let's go to dinner. I said, no, nah, I, I got to do my stuff. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm behind. Like, I, I'll be up. And for the tournament, it was the same way. I, I'd be up like all night to do those four, get to know. Yes. Eight. Yes. And I always felt I felt naked if I didn't know everything, even though I wasn't going to use everything. 
Yes. But if I didn't know everything, which was really probably a downfall because sometimes you've overloaded your circuits. Totally. And I think as a broadcaster, if you unload it and just do what's in front of you, right, that, that's, that's all you need to do is what's in front of you. Now, you got a lot of stuff around you. And there's a lot of things coming in your ear, not your ear, or your play-by-play guy might be trying to fire a question at you that you're really not thinking about, right? I, I think Kevin Harlan was the best always that during a timeout or a break, he would always say, hey, what can I set you up? What are you yeah. thinking? Yeah. And I might be saying, hey, I'm thinking about Bill just put in that third guard and here's what he's doing. Instead of some guys ask you a question why you're doing the game, what that they're thinking that you're not thinking like, you know, if a right. guy's and, and, and then it's, it almost sounds, and when they ask a question, you have to like stop and make sure you don't sound like a jerk. Correct. Because, correct. because that's not even close to what's going on. Cor- that's correct. And it is amazing that we're in the communication business. You're sitting right next to each other and yeah. there are people you, there can be a complete disconnect. And I mean, it's, it's very similar to kids in terms of players these days, right? Where players will, um, uh, I had a coach tell me like, hey, during a timeout, if I put five cell phones down in their chairs, they would actually talk to each other, but they don't, you know. Yeah. But I we do that same thing in broadcast when we go to break and, you know, you're talking to a producer about, hey, can we come back with and this other guy's, you know, looking at the stat guy where you're right next to each other. Just right. talk to talk to one another. Yeah. You know, and, and I, there's also a lot of fear, though, I think, because some of that backhaul stuff gets out. There is yeah. a lot like they cut, you know, like I've. I'm a big, Hey, open up my mic so I can, we can all talk to one another guy. Right. And you have right. to ask them to do that now because some of that backhaul stuff is, it gets out. But I think the challenge too is, is depending on the comfort level, the guy you're with, like in his, yes. job, in his job. Yes. Because everybody's, everybody's doing an audition for the next gig, right? They, they want a bigger game, bigger gig. So Often, not all the time, there'll be a play-by-play guy who wants to throw a little because he's been to the shoot-around. Yes. Now knows that Kansas runs a two-three zone every yes. once in a while. So let me let, let me let me, do, yeah. let me let me let me do the why you <laughs> do the what you know, and and we all know. Look, it's it's funny. I'll I'll, I'll give you a guy's name who uh, didn't do that, but um. I want to get Roxy Bernstein on my, my pod. I, I, I think Roxy's a gem of a dude and he's a very good broadcaster, but in his early days of working at ESPN, he'll even tell you, like you talk about copious notes, like my God, Roxy, he would know everything. He would know the birth weight of every kid on the team, right. which is great. Right. But he would try and jam it all in there and just, you know, with play by play calls, get all these notes in. And I worked with a guy who I, th- I thought was, v- I've always thought it's very good to play, I play Dave Revson, who, who had the same amount of information, only he was much more judicious with how he put it in. And I think it comes from, at least for me personally, I told Roxy this, you know, I, I, I have a level of insecurity that, you know, I don't, I don't want that somebody's going to find out, like you said, like we didn't actually pay attention to every game, every moment, you know, so I want to know everything and that sound like an idiot but you can't try and prove yourself with every call just like right. rever taught what we we both learned from a guy named dan steer hey oh, yeah. get it in at the free throw line get it in during a dead ball you know yeah. take your time there's no reason to jam it in anyway so like roxy i think he and i talked about it, like 
we did a tournament in Hawaii together. He's like, what'd you think? And I was like, Hey, can I just tell you like friend to friend, like you have all the, you have all the information you need, but you don't have to get it into every broadcast, like leave it on the cutting room floor. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's just that it's a baseball habit where you have so much time to get so much stuff in. And he's became, I think he's phenomenal now. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing with, with me in terms of doing color. And then you do, you have the play-by-play guy. There's other guys that they want to be the color analyst. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. That, that changed. You know, the old days, we didn't really go to a lot of shoot arounds. Like, I might see the coach five minutes before the game. Like, as an analyst to say, hey, what are you guys trying to do tonight? Nowadays, everybody goes to shoot around, right? The, the, everybody's there. I still think if I get the coach one-on-one, he's going to give me a lot more than if I go with the play-by-play guy, director, producer. They're, they're still a little gun-shy totally. about what, what media will throw out there. Knowing, yes. a, former, knowing a former player is not going to empty. Plus, I, you've done it, plus, you've done it for years. There's instant yeah. credibility. You know, It's like, it's like I, I, I tell you what I do now. So now I do my radio show, usually from the site, of you know, in, from the gym. Right. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it's great. Cause then you're like, you're not studying their shoot rounds going on the background or you're in a different room, right. but you'll pop in and see the coach. And it, it's just much more organic where they realize like you just, there's a relationship there when you've done it a while. And, you, and it's not always the head coach. Sometimes you stand with the assistant that you've known forever. Right. And they tell you everything, yeah, you know, they do. And then you just got to be judicious with how you, how you put it out. I think what people don't realize is how much goes into it's your group, it's your team, right? How you guys work together. What it, now, if you're with the same group all the time, it's pretty easy. But when it's different, and again, I always say like this with ESPN, everybody's auditioning for the next gig, right? Right. So, so there's an you can overdo a lot of stuff, and that's I think that's a challenge, especially in today's world with younger younger broadcasters. That's the toughest part. Will we ever, is there a way to get college basketball to where it was? And by that, I mean, you know, it's, it's um, like Dick Vitale, obviously going through his cancer stuff. And I don't know if, I don't believe players today understand the Dick Vitale thing. Right. right, right. When I played. Right. And occasionally you would get what's called dicked, right. Which is you're getting ready to do a game and they're like, Vitale wants to do it. Yeah. And, and he does it, but it was a show. In and of itself, it was so big. Yeah. So a lot, most times he would do the Big East, Big Monday game, or it would be Billis and Raftery with McDonough. Then to you guys, you and Ron Franklin doing Big Monday. Like that, that was the biggest, when we played on Big Monday, literally everyone I knew in basketball watched those games. And the numbers were huge. The numbers were huge. Like viewership was unbelievable for that Monday night. Unbelievable. How is there any way to get that back to the college game? No, because every game's on TV, right? Every every game that your alma mater, my alma mater, play is on TV. Every game. So Monday night is not any more special than Super Tuesday, or there's Wednesday, or a Friday gig, or a Saturday game, or a Sunday. Every game's on. So there's not a moment where you're capturing the country which back then you did. You had that Big East, Big 12, Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever it was, right? And those – those when they, had, when they had the Pac – when they had the Pac-12 – or they also had Big West. There was a yeah. time there when we were kids and they had 
Big West uh, was the last one on Big Monday, and that was a zoo. And it was always, you know, like UC Santa Barbara or whatever. But still, you had the three in a row. And you yeah, I, all, that's what I grew up with. And I was like, if, if I was at Stillwater doing your guys' game, and I'm heading back to the hotel to watch that next one, right? Yes. To say, man, who's going to be in this? I mean, it, it was part of the Monday night was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was fun. Fun for us. Fun for Ron and myself because you knew the Monday game – they they put the the teams on that game were going to be that, that was the game right Oklahoma State Kansas Oklahoma State Oklahoma Kansas Missouri Texas Kansas Iowa State when they were great Kansas I, I mean every Monday you walked into that gym and you were like oh man this is fun like this is fun and, and that, uh, you mentioned you mentioned Ron Ron Franklin passed away and yeah. you did you did Big Twelve games for years with him now yeah. he was and I kind of pointed that like he lived in Austin. He loved the horns. He does love, and he wasn't a he wasn't a Texas grad, but he loved. No, yeah. no, it was it was a weird it was a weird thing. Yeah, um, just give give me give me one Ron Franklin story that that no one's heard. Uh, you know, Ron, Ron was a perfectionist in what he did, so he he could be really tough on the truck, right? And if Ron didn't want to read card number four, he's not going to read card number four. But <laughs> but but they're putting that on the screen, right? Card okay, wait, so, so, so for people, let me let me just explain for people who are listening yeah. to this pod. Okay. So all those uh those it's called a read, promotions, you know, promotions yeah. liners, whatever. Yeah. The, the, there's a stage director who's usually on the other side, there's four people at a desk. Yep. Okay. The stat guy usually sits right next to the play-by-play voice. And then the stage director is either standing up or is standing, is sitting to the right of you and me. Right. And they pass it. Right. And the, the, the producer will say, uh, all right, uh, you know, like John layout, which means don't talk layout, a run card four. So, and then they're going to put a corresponding, let's just say advertisement, you know, like a full screen or a, or a lower third of a promotion, Duke Carolina, yeah. March 3rd, coach K's last game, whatever card goes to. So somebody hands, so you're sitting there and it's a really awkward thing. Oftentimes there's a hand comes across and here's the card to Ron Franklin. What happens? So the worst was when, um, ESPN was doing season on the brink, right? That was the Bobby Knight story. Yes. And we were promoting the heck out of it. I mean, it was like every commercial coming up next Tuesday, season on the break. Da, 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 da. So we're big Monday. And Ron, Ron's had enough of season on the break. Like he's had enough of promoting season on the break. And every time it would show up on here's on the screen, Jay Cutlow, our producer, would say, Ron, read card number four. And he'd hit his talk back and I could hear him. I'm not reading. I'm not reading. And Ken Dennis, our, our director, who you might know, Ken would say in my ear, hey, Sonny, uh, could you just promote the deal? And I might say, hey, Tuesday night, season on the break, Bobby Knight, blah, 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 blah. So this went on the whole game. And, and the best line ever was came back from a timeout and the studio had it. They're promoting season on the break. Yeah. yeah. Now let's go out to Ron and John. And it's still on our screen. And Jay Cutlow says, Ron, read the card. And I'm not reading the card. Read the card. Now, this is all going on. Yeah. 
Finally, Ron says, well, then, okay. He says it's on the air. Okay, then I'll just promo the promo. <laughs> and he read, reads the card and I'm just sitting there going, oh, he doesn't like doing the promotion there. He, he, he but he was, you know, he was a perfectionist. And here's what he wanted. He wanted our game to be the focal point when it was our time, right? We were just leaving the Big East game. We're about ready to tip off. Now, we could have a two-minute opening or a one-minute opening to talk about Oklahoma State, Texas. What a game we've got. Well, all of a sudden, Syracuse and Georgetown just finished, but they're going to interview Beheim. Well, Ron's like, what the hell are they going to interview him for when it's our time to have a two-minute open? Well, now all of a sudden, we're down to a one-minute open, down to 30 seconds, down to, hey, you're going to get it on the tip. No, no on camera. No on camera. And then Ron is MFing the people out east to go, hey, it's our time at 8 o'clock, our game, get it to us. And, and I always thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm riding with you. It, it should come to us earlier than to talk to a player and a coach. But you and I both know, I mean, Big East basketball back then was Big East basketball. But Ron, Ron was uh, always precious to work with him. I mean, it was fun. And he had a tint of uh, Longhorn in him, which I could never get because he was an Ole Miss grad. And I, but he loved the long. He loved Rick Barnes. Uh, if it was Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas, uh, you know, it was kind of buckle up. We're we're gonna have a we're gonna have we're gonna have a great broadcast. But it was always gonna be interesting. Uh, give me a coach who you generally maybe didn't have a relationship with, didn't know, or maybe didn't even like, and then you got to know him. And became a friend. Uh, I don't know if I had any that I didn't know or like. Here, here's where my advantage was, Doug, is, is probably because I played in the league and not only played in the old Big Eight, but then played in the NBA. When I came back, uh, every coach was very receptive. Had great relationship, like Tim Floyd, uh, I, I, I did Tim Floyd's first Kansas Iowa State game at Iowa State. Uh, he called me, he said, "I'll pick you up for breakfast." And I'll never forget. I believe it was Jock Vaughn's team. Could have been Hoiberg. I'm not sure if it was, but I told him, I said, "Dude, there's magic in this freaking building you got. I, you're going to play great today." But it, you know, things like that. Uh, I remember going to. I did a lot of Oklahoma games. Going into a practice, Kelvin. I had my sport coat on traveling. Kelvin called me out and said, if he makes two free throws, practice is done. Now, again, this is whole team standing there. I've got probably a button shirt on. And you know, in your mind, you're thinking, well, this is easy, but this ain't easy. Like these dudes are. Button down shirt is not, button down shirt is not, not a quality shooting. And, and, you know, here are these guys looking at me. They kind of know who I am. Don't know. I mean, I, I get it. And uh, I, but they both of those were all net, but I never really had had a bad relationship with anybody. Uh, I, I just, I always say because um, yeah. I, I ran into Billy Kennedy, who's an yeah. official. Yeah. Okay, Billy Kennedy, the, the African American official. Right. So uh, my junior year, again, you're calling the games. We, we were picked to win the league and we were kind of disappointing. And again, we had that fifth place. We beat Baylor. Right. And then the next night, and that was that was the coach got fired, and then we played, and then and and then we played. Um, I think we we played must play te- Texas next night. No, the five played they played the one. 
or the four play. Now, if I think we played the one, we played Texas who won the league and it was Rick's first year there. They started six and 10 right. and they, they ended up winning the league. And it's a really close, really physical game. And we're taking the ball out, going the other direction at like right in front of Rick's bench. And <laughs> I look at Billy Kennedy and I turned to Rick and I said, Hey coach, doesn't he look like Danny Glover? <laughs> and and Billy kind of got he he got a little flustered, and then the whole bench is dying laughing. And and Rick says, "Why don't you just shut the fuck up and play?" You know, because it, it caught him totally off guard. And and Rick was and he was he was like I I didn't realize he was such a smartass oh, yeah. for the longest time. Yeah. You know, like the ball would go out in front of him and he's like, I don't even know why you're in the game. Like you can't shoot it off. Like just talking a little bit, a little bit of Norm Stewart in him. So I'll never forget, you know, I, I start broadcasting games and uh, my first year they had a guy, uh, a Boddicker, I think was his name. The big white kid. Yeah. Big white kid. Yes. And he was one of those guys that every game there was a foul that was a little too hard, you know? Right, right, right. And everybody in the league hated him and thought he was he was the Jason Sutherland of the of the of the Big 12 at that point in time. And I said something along the lines of like, the only people who like Boddicker are guys in Texas Orange. Everybody else hates that kid. <laughs> and I said on TV and I'll never forget a couple years in. I went to Austin a little early and Rick said, like, hey, let's you, you, have you ever done. Uh, you should go do yoga. And. He set me up with a hotel, a place to yoga, a place to eat. He and I met up for coffee. And I was like, this guy's the greatest guy ever. I had yeah. no idea that Rick was just, he's just a smart ass, like, like everybody else. And he pulls me at one time, we're, we're having a cup of coffee. And he says, uh, you know what you said about Boddicker? I said, yeah. He goes, you know, the truth is we all kind of didn't like him either. Cause in practice he would foul just as hard. <laughs> and we're like, Hey, same, you know, like friendly fire, but it's just interesting on how, when you unwrap some of the layers of some of these guys, you start to realize most of them are really good guys. They wouldn't be a, you can't be a head coach if you're not incredibly engaging and personable because that's more of the job than the actual X and O's. And Rick's yeah. a perfect example of who I think is a gem of a dude. And I had, as a player, I just thought was kind of weird and kind of a jerk. And I had no idea. I'll tell you a good Rick story. Did did you play against TJ Ford or was he before you? No, he's, he was after uh, he was after me. Okay, so anyway, I'm doing a Saturday night, a Saturday afternoon game, uh, Texas at Oklahoma State, and then so I go to shoot around. Is in the morning because the game was at two o'clock or something, three o'clock. So Rick says, "You got us Monday night, right?" I said, "Yeah, down in Austin." He said, "How you getting there?" I said, well, I'm going to drive tomorrow morning to Tulsa, and then I'll fly from Tulsa to Austin. He goes, well, why don't you just fly with us? I said, that'd be great, but I've got this national rental car I have to get back to Tulsa. He said, I don't worry about it. Just meet us at the bus afterwards. So I park in my spot, Gallagher Iba, you know, really good spot. Have my suitcase or whatever I had with me in my bag. Wait for Texas to come out. Rick's going, y'all set? Got your stuff? I go, yeah. He takes my keys. He locks the car at, at National. He said, you got the National number? I go, yeah. Throws the keys in, locks the door, says, okay, now call National and say their car's in, you know, what is it? Lot C, parking spot four, and you got to go catch a plane and they can come get their car. <laughs> I was like, 
said, this is great. So I called National, got on his airplane, flew with uh, the Longhorns, and then Rick took me to the Marriott, you know, which now here's another funny part. I used to tell this to my wife. ESPN Regional, I would stay at some little small whatever place in Austin, move up to ESPN, was at the Good Marriott. If I did a CBS game, it was at the Ritz, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, different different size cars to rent. Different. Yeah. I mean, everything was different. Bigger room, bigger stuff. I mean, everything. Bigger food bills. Uh, yeah, and it was the same game I was doing, just a different network. That's funny. Um, I never forget. Like Dave Revson and I, we did a game in Vegas, and it was like an. I remember it was an ESPN game, and we stayed at like the Amera Amera Suites, which is basically like in the runway of McCarran <laughs> Airport. And I remember calling like I, I was I was, you know, we were both I was very I was probably 28 at the time doing games and I've been doing it a couple of years. And so I didn't say anything to anybody. Right. But Rever's like calling them like, are you fucking kidding me? We're in <laughs> Las Vegas. Like we I, we don't need to stay at the, you know. Right. We, we don't need to stay at the height, <laughs> but you can't find us something better than the runway. Um, but part of that is. I don't know. Part of it is the the i actually enjoy it in the ruggedness of hey i really love what i'm doing right. i don't really care right. but there is a certain level of i was cbs always would send you a town car oh yeah yeah that's I, what they do now is a town car and i remember we i did an oregon arizona game and i fly into eugene and they got like a car service waiting for me and i just felt like the biggest cheese ball ever like i got a guy driving around like eugene's not the kind of place you need a if you're in the city get it you're in chicago understood right. you're in eugene oregon i right. can rent a car and drop it off when i'm done i'm I'm good well i always i always rented a car only because i, I wanted access to go come and go when i wanted and i really never took yes. a car yes. that they want to drive you i i but but cbs always had a lot more stuff than espn or espn regional did back in the day last thing last thing um you've done just about everything in broadcasting do you yeah. What, what's, what's, what's the goal? I mean, like you, you do it. You don't need the money. No. You love the game. Yeah. It's fun. You love calling, you love calling the game. Yeah. Um, and, but, but what's the, like, do you want to get back to doing the tournament? Do you just like doing, you know, the league and occasionally a big 12 game? Like what's your personal, if I asked you and, and nobody was listening, what do you really want to do in broadcasting for these next five years, 10 years, what would it be? Honestly, I don't think I have an answer. I, 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 every year I think it'll be my last until then they call up again and say, Hey, will you do 25 games? Because you're, because you, I'm competitive enough when I don't do some games, I think I should do. But then again, I don't talk to anybody about it. Yeah. For instance, this year, big 12 sec challenge, there were 10 games, right? 10 games. Big 12 SEC. Now, I think I'd be a perfect guy on a Big 12 SEC challenge game. Did the Big 12, played the Big 8. Uh, have you, one, one, would, one would think. Yeah, one would think. Yes. I didn't have one of those games. I had one of the two games that were the SEC games on the SEC network, right? So that's when you kind of get a little competitive to go, what the hell's going on here? Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, is the goal to do more stuff? Not necessarily. It, it, there really isn't a goal. Uh, could be if I made contacts to say, hey, I need to do more stuff. 
but, but we'll see. It, it kind of plays its way out. Every year, I kind of think I'm done. Every year, I think, well, that's probably enough. Now, what's changed is COVID, because we've done it from home. Yeah. It took two years. I haven't been traveling. That's pretty easy when you don't travel. Yeah. Now, when you go back on the road, you wear out. I mean, you know it. You get tired. Uh, but so far, I mean, I don't I haven't worn out. And I, and I think sometimes they're probably looking for younger people than me. But, you know, if I get good game, any game can be a good game. Any, any yeah. game. I mean, that Auburn and Georgia went down the last bucket. I, yeah. the, game, the game I saw you, A&M and, and Kentucky, the atmosphere was unbelievable, right? Yeah. So any yeah. game can be a good game. Well, I'll, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with this. And I, I do. I want to I want to do some more, do some more storytelling and more, more pod talk. I'll leave you with this. There's three guys who call games who, when I started doing it, I said, I want to be a mix of those three. OK, you and Billy Packer. OK, yeah. you, you and Bell, you, you and, and Billy Packer. Uh, were two and I, I love and, and Jeff Van Gundy. Like those are the right. Th- those are the those are the three. But what I've always been impressed by is obviously your economy of words is really good. You can say a lot, but while not saying a ton. The matter of factness uh, of it, where it doesn't come across either too too excited or mean spirited. It's it just. It, it it's just this is why and this is this is what I'm saying. It's just that there's a, a there's an ability you have that very few people have to in a, in the in the biggest of moments it doesn't sound over the top cheesy energy but it right. doesn't lack and some people just they've done it too long and they lack the energy and you can tell they're kind of done doing it. It's, right. it's right in the middle. And then you see things that other people don't and you're willing to say it, but you also say it in a way in which it's much more palatable. I can come across, especially early when I did it a little bit too harsh because it's like a, because like watching, I always feel like it's like watching film with your dad or with a coach where they're pointing <laughs> things out, which everybody in basketball knows, but there's right. a way in which you, you got to be. So you're like an artist with how you do it. It's really, really impressive. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I know this. Some people like what you do and some don't like what you do. That's the reality of it, right? So what you said is makes me feel good because I also know there's some others going, he's got a bad voice. He doesn't get excited. Yeah, I understand both sides of it. But, you know, we are who we are individually. And Joe Buck, here, here's the, I'll leave it with this. Joe Buck, he's 25 years old. We're sitting. Uh, we're going to do Missouri game. They're out in Hilo, Hawaii. The game before that, we're just watching. We're not, this is not, you know, we're just going to do Missouri game. And we're talking and he says, Hey, what do you, and I'm telling him, Hey, look at the little lefty over there. Right. And watch what he does. And, and Joe says to me, he says, just do that. I said, what? He goes, just do that. Cause I was just learning TV. He goes, just do what you just told me. Just, just do what you told me about the last five minutes. And that should be how you do your games. You don't have to be screaming. You don't have to be this. So, you know, again, I appreciate your kind words because, you know, we do what we do. And, and, and if the, and you know this too, if the game is good, it's really easy, right? If it's a bad game, we're, we're searching for something, something to, something to get to. See, that's, that's what, that's what, that's when the sports radio background kicks in. That's when you can be entertaining and, you know, you don't want to get yourself fired, but you have a little have a little bit of fun. But yes, when the game is easy, but also when the game is easy, that's when 
you had you you understand your ego's in check at least enough as a broadcaster that you don't you don't choke it right you let it breathe right and and you let let the play by play guy do his job you let the the nat sound do its job and you're just there again like these are all things that if you've done it and you get it you i i watch it and i appreciate it and you still you had it a long time ago you have it to this day and i don't think everybody has that and a part of it is most of us there's no training, right? Correct. You're a player, you're a coach, try it. Oh, you're pretty good. And then everybody tells you after the game, oh, you were great. No one ever gives you legit, honest, credible feedback. Correct. They don't help you at all. Like nobody no. helps you. No. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate, I appreciate your time. I do appreciate it. No, I, actually, that's me to say to you. So thanks. Hopefully we'll catch. I'd, I'd love to do this again as we get close to the tournament, talk a little bit more ball and tell some more stories. But thank you again. Perfect. Thanks, Doug. I hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, incredibly fun to reminisce and tell some stories. And, you know, I do think that as we get closer and closer to the NCAA tournament, it's important to to tell the stories of what it's really like to cover so many of these incredible moments. I, I do think that one of the things I've always admired about John and most people in our profession is that we cover the moments. We're not part of the moments. I, I think it's it's a very interesting thing that there are some people who cover the moments that think they're very much a part of the moment. I do not. I just enjoy watching it and relaying to people why and what really happened. A reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern time on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, or Sirius XM 217-203. Make sure you tell a friend about this, you know, write a review, retweet it, send it to somebody. And we really appreciate you downloading, subscribing, and rating. I'm Doug Gottlieb in this is all ball.